You are now tuned into the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. This is episode 71 of the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to share their stories. My name is James Bodden, and today, fired up about my guest, Michael Tuso. He is a coach, a guide, a mentor, officially the director of revenue performance at Chili Piper, and somebody that I am honored that would choose to stop by the Lunch Break podcast because Michael has a fantastic following on LinkedIn. He is a true practitioner when it comes to sales leadership, innovation inside of sales leadership. And he works at a pretty revolutionary company, Chili Piper, uh, in the fact that they're a completely distributed and remote company. So really excited about this episode. If you don't have time to listen to the entire thing, listen to Michael's snack break sales tip that he served up for us. How can you build like a routine or a habit that works for you to, to build, uh, to build success. So I think, um, if you, if you focus on the daily habits, um, it took me kind of like a a while to realize that just like holistically, like in my life, not just with like sales, but you know, outside of work too. And it's like, okay, like if I focus on the daily habit and the commitment to that one thing, um, you know, whether, whether it's in sales or, or without, like if you really focus on those habits, it will get you the, the results that you want. So um, I, I usually reverse engineer my goals and then figure out like how to get the habits in place to do that. So I do this like exercise at the beginning of every year where I chart all my goals for the year personally and professionally. And then I figure out what habits and the process that will get me there. And I really double down on the, the process part. And then that takes care of whatever the end result goal is. For example, like with reading, I have a personal goal of reading three books per month. Um, instead of being like super like down on myself, I just give myself this simple task of uh, making sure I read every weekday. And that, that process really helps me get there. And I haven't missed it yet. So really double down on, um, on, on the routines and the habits and those daily things that are in your immediate control. Fantastic snack break sales tip from Michael. Lots more of that to come in the episode, but I get it. You got to go. You got to quote it to me. You got to make a call. You got to send some emails. Go get after it. But when you have some downtime, come back and listen to episode 71 with Michael Tuso, director of revenue performance at Chili Piper. He dropped some real knowledge, folks. Enjoy this episode. Here we are, folks, episode 71 of the Lunch Break Podcast, and my guest today is none other than Michael Tuso, Director of Revenue Performance at Chili Piper. Mike, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a joy to be here. Yeah, and... and I think uh, I've been following you for a while. You were actually one of the first folks that, you know, in the sales development space that that I found on LinkedIn and and really kind of see you as a pioneer of of someone who recognized before a lot of us the value of of contributing to the community there. So I'm super happy to have you here. I'm going to kick this thing off the same way that I kick off all of these uh, podcasts just by asking you, uh, how did you get started in sales? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, uh, 
in my early 20s, I started off my career working in, in politics. Um, and actually, my career got started uh, off of a Facebook post. Um, <laughs> I realized I hadn't told that story in quite some time the other day. Um, I, I was working a political campaign, <clears throat> and a big portion of my job was raising money. After it ended, um, I, I saw a post from uh, a loose connection. It was someone I, I had met as a result of being um, involved in student government in college. And this person was involved at student government at another university. And then um, uh, it kind of seemed like a, a good idea to get involved in corporate sales because a lot of what I was doing on the campaign was uh, very sales oriented in my mind, like through fundraising um, huge amounts of money. And then in, in addition to that, um, there's this other element of the experience that was really attractive to me. So in the beginning of my career, I, um, I really wanted to travel. I studied abroad my last year of college and I wanted to, to do that. And um, ironically enough, this opportunity that came up was both a sales job and a work abroad opportunity, which I was like, <laughs> didn't know anybody else who had landed something like that. And I was yeah. like, well, I absolutely have to take it. So I was like in London after the campaign, um, relaxing with my best friend. And I accepted a position to move to South America a few <laughs> weeks later. Um, <laughs> and so I realized that mine's probably like pretty different than most people's story. But um, yeah, that's literally how I got involved in sales. And then I basically started um, as like an SDR uh, working uh, abroad. That's so fascinating, man. And, and you know, I think <clears throat> I always say this, but it's always one of the things I love and why I ask that question, because, you know, even if people's reasons are even are somewhat similar, there's always a unique story of how they kind of came to that point uh, before uh, you obviously had other interests. Right. So you were involved in politics and things like that. Did you ever imagine yourself being a like what was your perception of what a salesperson was before you got the job? Like, was there ever any sort of hey, maybe this is something I could end up doing or was it even on your radar? Uh, always interested on people's perspective on the sales profession, you know, pre their involvement. <laughs> Definitely not in college. It was like the last thing I wanted to do in college. Um, yeah, I had that same like image that everyone else like did, the like car salesman, like type, you know, thing that everyone refers to. Yeah. That's like what, what my perspective was in college. When I got out of college, I realized, well, oh, wow, there's this thing called money that you have to make. And um, if you're not really good at it, then, you know, you're, you're, you're going to struggle. And so, and I, nowhere did I recognize that more than working on the campaign. Mm. And so um, I realized, like, how important um, it was to the overall functioning um, of a campaign, whether you view that as a, a good thing or a bad thing, that's like the reality of, of what was happening back in 2012. Yep. And so uh, I was like, well, I, I should learn more about like how all of this works. And I feel like, um, you know, sales would be a good place to do it. Um, also with that, the political arena is very volatile, especially like for someone who is like working on a campaign. I didn't even see myself like doing that. I was asked to step into a campaign um, manager uh, role and I was craving this like stability um, mm. because I felt like in a more stable work environment, I could not only work, uh, learn more at work, but I, um, 
I would have the mental stability to also be able to do things outside of work that would further my growth as well, instead of like the crazy hours of a campaign with the little pay and things like that. So um, I always kind of in the back of my mind wanted stability once I got back from like getting the travel bug out of my system. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up being abroad for uh, a year and a half. And then when I came back, I was sort of like craving that um, more like stable uh, career and also like learning about the inner workings of like, what is a sale? And then I really discovered that like, it's not this terrible, you know, thing. Um, and when it's, it can be done really beautifully when, um, when you do it right. And, and that often entails, uh, or always entails solving a problem for another human being um, and emotionally motivating them enough for them wanting to take action on it. So um, yeah, it was kind of an evolution of, uh, of thought for me and, and how I kind of had a change of heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, there aren't, it's interesting to me that you viewed, given what you had done, you viewed sales as a stable profession where I think a lot of people, you know, if you have an accounting degree going into sales seems like a really risky uh, thing. What commission? It's based on my performance. It, whoa. Uh, very, there are very few things that you can do that are more extreme than sales. And I would argue that uh, your experience, you know, running campaigns and being involved with that is, is more extreme. <laughs> you yeah, know? And, uh, I think that's an interesting, you know, an interesting perspective to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I remember like, I would always like be at the office like pretty late. And then I was kind of like thinking like, why, like once I got back from the trip and I was like working as a, cl- uh, as a closer and um, I, I was just, and I wasn't working half the hours as I was on a campaign and it, the work ethic very quickly increased my conversion rates. Mm. Um, and then the conversion rates really helped me um consistently be you know top performer on the on the team um which really had really big financial differences between what you're able to make in that environment with doing the right things and like having a fixed income um so it was really i was like whoa i have control of over uh, my paycheck and i got it down to a level where it was literally like i could calculate like how much i would make like the last week of the month and then i would I had this like spreadsheet that told me like what I needed to do to get this certain amount. And it wasn't that I was like chasing this like number, but it was more so like, how do I build this process to make me successful that I could walk away from tomorrow and like come back to, and this system will make me like successful. So it was really kind of fun to build that. Um, especially I also had kind of a weird trajectory where I was, um, an SDR and then an SDR manager and then an AE. Um, I kind of think um, I usually advise people to be like SDR AE then and then management. But I think in some ways that also the managerial experience and uh, being kind of a liaison because the SDR manager oftentimes has to be a liaison between the two groups. Um, Certainly more in my experience than maybe an AE manager. There's obviously a lot of collaboration among all the teams, but it's really that SDR manager who kind of sits in between the two teams. Um, And it taught me like a lot about the inner workings of a deal and like qualification and what it takes to close and not just focusing on like um, meeting for a meeting sake. And, And then so I was like, okay, how can I apply all these things that I had to train people on to also like help myself? 
um, be successful. And then on top of that, I got some really excellent training from um, still today, one of my mentors um, on how to close that ended up being um, super, super helpful. So then like this like knowledge from that person and training and real motivation plus like some of the past experience really, I think um, was a game changer for my own success. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's always whenever you can take whatever you've been through and whatever roles you've had and, and, and gather all of that data to inform a better way to do your current role. I think that's where you start to see things firing on all cylinders. Right. And, and um, so much of that comes from that leadership that you talked about, right. That kind of common thread through all of that is that, you know, at each stage it was like, okay, cool. There's, people here that I can kind of call on to, to help me learn along the way in my current role, get an idea of what this other side of the business does, gather that yeah. in. Um, and that's always my argument for older SDRs, like yeah. hiring folks who maybe have been account executives before, and now you want to bring them in and be an enterprise SDR. They're going to bring a wealth and of knowledge about what's going to happen when they pass that meeting off. They're going to know completely from being in it themselves. This is what I need to set up for this AE because this is what I would want, you know? So that perspective is fantastic. Um, so you, you had kind of a unique path, right? SDR, SDR manager, AE, and then you got back into leadership. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, that's, when you got on my radar was with snack nation and, and, and that, um, time there, that, that's what I remember your, your first content coming through with. Um, so, so talk about that kind of transition for you, you know, what the decision from being an individual contributor and obviously building a process that was like, <laughs> you know, if you had spreadsheets where you were narrowing it down and you had it down to a science like that, I mean, what, what, motivated you to to leave that and start something brand new you know yeah um i was i was always i'm always like motivated to like figure things out but it's always like uh, okay like how can i figure this out so that it like helps other people um and it, it, even like if i was an individual contributor today like you would find me like after my like quote unquote regular working hours um like coaching other people anyway like I very much would like go and figure out how it all worked, contribute myself. I think sometimes like I hear a lot that like, it's almost like people view like being a top performer and being a leader or a manager or a coach is like almost like not really like a good thing. But I have seen many like people who were top performers also be good managers. And there's certainly examples where, it isn't the case and they probably should stay an individual contributor too. But I think we need to not look at things so simply and mm. look at like, okay, well, when is it good for a, a top performer to become a manager? And when is it like, should someone say an individual contributor and how do we normalize both? Um, it, so that's my sort of opinion on, on that. And that's one that I hear come up pretty frequently but for me, like you, you would find me like, okay, I'll get my things done. And then you would find me like coaching other members of the team. Like I would literally just like get like three people together and be like, Hey guys, let's do like a call recording training. And like, I would, 
you know, stand up with a whiteboard and like get them to stand up in the whiteboard. And, and we would just like talk it out about how to get better. And then if an SDR was getting promoted, uh, I very frequently like super motivated ones would like come up to me and be like, Hey, I know you have found success. Um, you know, do you mind doing like some mock like role plays with me? Um, and we would, we would always pretend like it was like a real deal. Like they would shoot me over like a real opportunity of like something that they had booked. And then I would pretend to be the prospect. And then afterwards we would do really deep dive, uh, debriefs. Um, and I would just kind of like, I know most of the time I'm like, okay, give one piece of feedback and, 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 and then implement it. And that's how I, I train my team today most of the time. But back then I would like give like a ton of feedback up front just to anchor where people think the clothes should be and like telling a lot about your product to like how to actually do it. And it was super fun for me and I, I hope it, and it seemed like it was a lot of fun for them too. So I was naturally gravitating to it. And yeah, uh, some of my mentors um, kind of wanted me to kind of step back in, in that role. So um, when one of my mentors went to another startup, she brought me with her um, to help build out the team. And then uh, I ended up moving to uh, California to, to do that a little bit more. And then I moved um, into another management role um, at Snack Nation where they had a, a, some SDRs, um, but the team was growing very quickly and didn't have an SDR manager and, mm-hmm. and needed to scale the team pretty quickly. I, we ended up scaling that team to 23. Um, so it was, I think I inherited it around like nine and then we grew it to like 23. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's so uh, interesting because <clears throat> those, qua- those qualities and those things that you were doing, you know, you, you were doing them naturally. How, uh, when, when, when it comes to promoting top performers, in my mind, the I categorize them just very briefly, like high level. If if they're not good leaders, it's because they're top. The reason they're a top performer is because they've they've got that lone wolf thing down, mm-hmm. right? If they are a good leader, it's because they're doing things like you were doing anyway already. So it's to me, it's almost got to be a natural inclination um, with those top performers, which way they go, yeah. right? It's like in their DNA. Do you think it's something that could be taught? Do you think you could take a top performer that got promoted to management who was lone wolf and I'm going to show you how I do it, follow my rules, and that's the way to success as opposed to kind of the way that you're naturally wired? It's so funny because that's like what is, is my perspective too. Like is, is like, okay, like, well, like we've always done it this way or like, do what I do and yep. chances are that that's like a way that they were taught as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, so the do what I do type thing and, and the taught, um, as the taught question is interesting because I think that, um, a, AE managers, SDR managers, um, are supposed to be the ones that are, training other people but very frequently did they receive training so it's always a question that i have is a big question mark is like why don't we focus on manager training and and enablement and coaching like i I had an interesting question from a manager recently and the manager was like asking about them doing a role play and i was like that's exactly right there's um 
uh, I remember one time we had um, David Brock, the author of Sales Manager Survival Guide, uh, yeah. come into our office at Stack Nation on first time coaching, and he did something I had never done before. He asked us to re record our uh, one on ones, and like, and then we like went over the one on ones and how we. And I was like, I have never done this before. So I think that there's mm. like so many things that like even though top performers can be good managers, frequently they're put into that role and like, okay, here you go. But I think like there's room for improvement there for training too. So I do fundamentally believe that, you know, people inherently can be taught and I uh, try to anchor the team there. I think that you can't help but to get better if you're learning all the time. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, if they're just like put into a role naturally I think a lot of people are going to just be like, okay, well this worked for me. Like, let me teach you everyone else how I do it. So yeah, with good intentions like, as well. Right. I mean, exactly. this is all I know how to do. Nobody's showing me a different way. <laughs> exactly. This is the way that they want me to do it. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, <clears throat> now what's interesting is you, you know, you uh, have gone on to, to lead remote teams at Chili Piper. Yeah. Right. You guys are known for being, a fully remote company uh, what what kind of elements like how do you transfer that kind of learning culture fostering that when you can't get people into the same room in kind of a classroom setting right i mean i'm assuming that's like everything you were used to right and how you conducted what was that transition like yeah. So at first I kind of, um, I kind of went through what I see a lot of people going through right now. We're still kind of like grabbing on to like this, like, um, off, like wanting to be in the office that need almost dependency to be in the office. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're kind of, some people that I know personally kind of were viewing it as like, if I'm in the office, that's how I get my success. That's how I get my training and my, my everything. Um, and then it's interesting to watch some of my other friends um, that are, are in management roles. They're like, oh, wow, you know, this has really forced me to um, be better with speech and be much more precise in, in what I'm asking for and, um, you know, and asking for of the team. And it's really actually helped me communicate. And I was like, I definitely found that to be the case, too. Like, you know, you can't, like, jump on a whiteboard and start um, doing that like per se in the same way that you would in a one-on-one -on -one interaction or um, or in the office or like you can't like necessarily walk over to someone's desk but there's a million other things that you can do I've actually found that through like over time at Chili Pepper because we're remote we're able to double down on learning uh, more effectively than we did uh, than I did personally like ever in my career um, in an office. So it, it seems kind of like weird at first when you, when you think about it, you're like, oh, well you have to be in the office in order to teach people and coach, coach them and things like that. But I actually have found like, you know, very far from the, the truth in my own personal experience. Um, I have never had a team as devoted to uh, growth and learning um, as I do right now. And I attribute a lot of that to the culture that we set here and a lot of it, you know, to working um, remotely. Um, <clears throat> and, and it's been really cool to, to watch that. We read books co constantly together. It's like we have our own like book club in the company, um, which is really cool. Right now we're 
reading uh, Way of the Wolf, and then if they finish that one, they'll move on to Persuasion uh, by Robert Cialdini. Um, so cool. Who, yeah, and and then um, the going back to like what you said earlier, like I don't think that any one person has the answers, and I think like sometimes sometimes we might not always ask, act that way. So what um, <laughs> what I try to do is like flip it on its head a little bit, and the team actually are actively helping me come up with content uh, outside of books too for those trainings. So it's like a diffused structure. It's not just like centered around one person, which I've seen like frequently be the top down structure. We kind of do a little bit more on the bottoms up uh, approach, which has been amazing. Cause like, you know, if you have to be the one to teach something, like you're going to remember it, you're going to, you're going to foster it. People are going to come to you for questions because you were the, the expert on it. And so it's not like, the Michael Tuso show or like our, <laughs> our, our CEO, uh, Nicholas, like it's not just us. Do they come to us for advice and, and guidance and, and things like that? Absolutely. Every single day. But um, I found that when people are active participants in their own growth and learning, you're able to achieve those outcomes that you might've been like beating your head up against the wall, trying to get um, previously. And it's, it's been really, really awesome to watch people grow into management roles, people just kind of grow in their own careers and their understanding of sales and business. And um, as, as a result uh, of that kind of culture that that we set. So yeah, it's been really awesome to watch. Man, that's so fantastic. And such interesting findings, right? Such interesting insights that are very counterintuitive to what I think a lot of people would assume about kind of fostering that learning culture? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things off of that was um, when you're in an office, there's something about attaching to, like, it's always like, how many calls did you make? Like, uh, what um, what's the revenue you brought in? Like, it's always very, like, just result driven. And mm. ironically, we're more, I'm, I feel like I'm more result driven now without doing stuff like that as much. Like, <laughs> Uh, instead of like ceilings, like I've instituted like floors. So it's like a lower number that everyone can hit because I care more about the habit over time and the compound effect of that um, than, you know, people reaching unattainable numbers and you always uh, like chasing them for that. And then, then another thing that has been instrumental is the how. And um, I, I think like some managers when I, I watch or, or I'm giving feedback, um, you know, I've had multiple VPs of sales come up to me in, in the past, you know, month with revenue issues. And I'm like, okay, well, how much time are you spending with your team outside of like KPIs, metrics? Those things are all important. But if your team doesn't know how to close a deal, like, then those numbers won't add up. If your SDRs don't know, like, how, what messages to craft in what way and, and how that gets in. And if we aren't asking enough, like why questions and how questions, then then it's it's really hard to hit those numbers if we don't know like why why we're hitting them and why we aren't. So I really focus on like how and like okay, like you are having an issue with this like conversion rate. Let's take a look. Like let's open the hood. Um, and I think if I think I see a lot of times that's the first question I ask, and before I move on to anything else, it's that's usually the issue. Like when a, when a team is like struggling and like or like specifically when a leader is struggling with their team it's like there's something and it's not like personnel issues or anything like that if you're just like literally trying to figure out why 
the performance isn't going well. So that's, that's something that working remotely has really, really helped me with too. Mm. Yeah, that's super powerful. And, and, and something that I think so many sales teams deal with, you know, it's how do we really move the needle, you know, all of those phrases. Um, and, and it's interesting to see those kind of revelations for you and your career come from leading a remote team. You know, I think that's fantastic. Um, well, look, we're, I know we're coming up on time here. I want to make sure yeah. that uh, I just get a quick sales tip that folks that are listening to the show can use when they get done uh, with this episode. Yeah, um, I think the, the on my mind right uh, now is um, how can you build like a routine or a habit that works for you to, to build uh to build success. So I think um, if you if you focus on the daily habits, um, it took me kind of like a, a while to realize that just like holistically, like in my life, not just with like sales, but you know, outside of work too. And it's like, okay, like if I focus on the daily habit and the commitment to that one thing, um, you know, whether whether it's in sales or, or without, like if you really focus on those habits, it will get you the the results that you want. So um I, I usually reverse engineer my goals and then figure out like how to get the habits in place to do that. So I do this like exercise at the beginning of every year where I chart all my goals for the year personally and professionally. And then I figure out what habits and the process that will get me there. And I really double down on the, the process part. And then that takes care of whatever the end result goal is. For example, like with reading, I, I have a personal goal of reading three books per month. Um, instead of being like super like down on myself, I just give myself this simple task of uh, making sure I read every weekday. And that, that process really helps me get there and I haven't missed it yet. So really double down on, um, on, on the routines and the habits and those daily things that are in your immediate control. I love it. I love it. And, and what I love about that is that you could scale it up and do it for a whole year or you could, or you could look at it just for the next week. Right. Um, and, and you could do it right now. I love that. Well, last question, same question I ask everybody that comes on the lunch break podcast. Uh, what is your favorite place to eat lunch? Uh, um, so being that I work remotely, I usually yeah. meal prep, uh, every, uh, usually like Sunday, Wednesday, um, so usually um, at the co-working space um, I, I work at or, um, or at home, and I usually have the same thing for lunch every day. Um, if, I'm not, if I'm not meal prepping, my favorite place to eat or my favorite lunch place in San Francisco is Suvla. They have the best salads I've had in the entire city. city. So, uh, yeah, that's my favorite lunch place. Fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. If folks want to connect with you after this, how can they find you? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'm really active on LinkedIn. Um, you can just search me there, Michael Tiso, um, and I would definitely um, be happy to, to connect and learn from other people too. Fantastic. With that, I'm going to wrap up episode 71 of the Lunch Break Podcast. Speak to you guys soon.